What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Spring Hills Podcast. My name is Garrett. I'm the worship pastor here at Spring Hills, and I'm also the host of the Spring Hills Podcast. Today, we're starting a brand new segment called What Does the Bible Say? Each time we do this segment, we're going to pick a different topic. Today, our topic is authority. So we're asking the question, what does the Bible say about authority? Pastor Brett's going to join us. He's going to share some scripture and share some thoughts on different areas of authority. Like, what's the authority of the Bible? Or what about authority within the family or authority within the church? Or how about what does the Bible say about the authority of government officials? That's a hot topic right now. Well, Pastor Brett is here. He's going to touch on some of these questions with me. But before we get started, I want to remind you about a few things. First, we have a brand new setup for our weekend services. Church on the Lawn, it turns out, had an expiration date with the weather. So what we've done is we've created a plethora of viewing opportunities for you. We do want people to feel safe, but we also want to make sure that we as the church continue to worship together. We have the auditorium spaced out with lots of space in between the rows, so it's very easily to be socially distanced. When you are in your seats, we are asking that you keep your masks on. We also have designated seating areas where the masks are required at all times for those of you that want to wear your mask the whole time and want to be around people that have masks on. We made sure that we have that area for you. We also have these wonderfully huge bay doors on the east side of our auditorium. And so those doors remain open the entire service. We've got some seating right outside of those doors with heat lamps to make sure that you stay warm. And also underneath the patio, we've got the screen set up where the service will be live streamed. And there's also heat lamps out there, so don't worry. You'll be warm there as well. And finally, the service will continue to be streamed online for those of you that aren't quite ready to join us in person. And we love that we're able to do that for you. All these different ways give you an opportunity to join us. So don't miss out on it. Ultimately, we believe that church is so important, and that's why we're working hard to give you all these options to be sure that you feel safe and comfortable at church. Don't miss out on the weekends. It is still the normal time, Saturday night at 5.30, Sunday morning, 8.15, 9.30, and 11.15. Now, let's get to this episode, What Does the Bible Say About Authority with Pastor Brett? Today on the Spring Hills Podcast, we're going to be talking about authority. What does the Bible say about authority? This is going to be a new series that we're going to do um, about what the Bible says about certain topics. So we're going to start with authority. That's going to be the first one. We're going to get into some other ones in the future here. But first of all, while we're getting started with what does the Bible say about authority, let's talk about the authority of the Bible. So I brought with me Pastor Brett because... You might know some things about this. Uh, you've studied the Bible, right, Brett? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Garrett Ward was supposed to be with us today, but he wasn't able to make it. Um, so Brett and I are going to hold down the fort today. So let's first of all, let's talk about what the Bible says about um, its own authority. What does the Bible say about the authority of God's Word? Well, you know, that's um, such an important starting point for any discussion, really, about truth or uh, understanding uh any topic, authority is a topic, but we have to have uh, some derivative of the truth. And so if we believe the Bible is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, then of course then it uh, follows that it has authority, and we do believe Mm -hmm. that the canon of Scripture, Old and New Testament, is inspired by God through the apostles and prophets, um, and being inspired by God, it is without error in its 
uh, description and explanation of the truth. So we we go to it mm-hmm. for any topic, and we say, what does the Scripture say? And we try to understand everything it says about a particular topic from Genesis to Revelation to put together our understanding of what the truth is. So you got to have a starting point mm-hmm. for any discussion of truth. We believe that the Scripture comes from God, and therefore it is, in fact, true. Now, when we say it comes from God, I've actually had somebody ask me before, did God physically write the Bible? But we see in, especially in the New Testament, all these books are written by, uh, Paul writes a lot of them, Peter, um, John, uh, James, they all write their own books. But those are still inspired by what God is telling them to write. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's really good. It wasn't uh, it wasn't that they were dictating uh, what the spirit was saying, like you know, in some kind of trance, the spirit gave them the words and they just wrote it down. God used their individual personalities. Uh, he used their style. Uh, John has a different style than Peter. Uh, Paul has a different style than Peter or John or James. Different levels of education. Yeah. Like Luke, he, Luke is a doctor, right? Luke's coming at it from a doctor's perspective. Matthew was a tax collector. Yeah, There's a exactly. lot of different. So we would say that the inspiration of Scripture is God using individual personalities uh, to and styles to have written down uh, exactly what he wants without error. So it's a inspiration of scripture does include personality and style, and it doesn't uh, obliterate that with some kind of just pure dictation mm-hmm. uh, philosophy. That's yeah, important to recognize. Now, I've, I've seen that, this is just a random question, but Hebrews is, uh, I've seen a couple of people say different authors of Hebrews. Um, who do you think wrote? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, so a lot of the letters in the New Testament, we know who the author was because they identify themselves in the beginning of the letter. Um, but when it comes to the book of Hebrews, there's no, um, no, we don't know who wrote it because uh, no one claims authorship. Uh, I think it's for the Apostle Paul um, because particularly how he ends the letter, the if, you read the, if you read the end of the letter in chapter 13, the way he ends it out is the grace of God and other things. Um, but he also uh, starts every other letter by saying, that yeah, I'm Paul, <laughs> I, Paul, <laughs> yeah. along with si- Silas and Timothy or yeah. whatever. Uh, but we can say this, the Holy Spirit definitely wrote the letter or the, the book of Hebrews. Um, it's under the inspiration of the Spirit. Yeah. So the authority of the Bible, um, it's God's Word. It's true. That's what we believe. Uh, here at Spring Hills especially, we really talk about this a lot. We um, we really encourage reading the Bible, trusting what the Bible says. There's some things. Uh, I want to get to some of this too because there are some things that can get taken out of context. Um, and we talk about that a lot in staff meeting. We read a scripture and Kiki, most of all, is like, what's the context here? Because if we're just saying this is, uh, you know, we're just talking to this person, is it really or is it talking to somebody else? Um, I think some of this stuff, especially when it comes to authority that we're going to talk about today, could be taken out of context. Um, so I think it'll be good to dig into some of these. So the authority of, uh, first of all, I want to jump to now Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, 18, um, where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So all authority on heaven and earth, what does he mean by that? Well, this is following, of course, Matthew 28, uh, 18 is following the resurrection uh, right before his ascension into heaven. And uh, Jesus Christ, uh, having died for sins, defeating the devil, uh, passing the temptation, 
that the devil brought to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and having, you know, been raised from the dead is victor, complete victor over the devil and everything the devil is trying to do. So all authority has been given to him now. Uh, the devil has been defeated. And it's out of that sort of position of Christ's authority that he says to the disciples, now go into all the world and tell the good news, preach mm -hmm. the gospel and baptize people, make disciples, essentially. But uh, Christ, yes, uh, seated at the right hand of God as King of kings and Lord of lords uh, because of all that he accomplished through the cross and his resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the authority, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you want to? Do you have anything else to add with this before we go into uh, more humanly things um, with the authority of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I think it's important as a as sort of a principle to understand that authority uh, within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a, is an interesting teaching that Jesus Christ submitted Himself to the authority of the Father. Uh, when you look at the the uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done, when he, as he was facing the cross. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 11, that uh, in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 11, well, I, want you, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Um, within the Trinity, we have the model of authority submission, uh, but the Son submits to the Father. And then the father gives, uh, you know, lifts up the son to being king of kings and lord of lords. It, it, it's not an uh, inferiority thing like the son submits to the father because the son is less than the father. No, the father and the son are co-equal, co-eternal. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the spirit. The Holy Spirit takes a little more of a background role. He's the comforter. Uh, he reveals truth about Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has his role within the, within the Trinity. Um, they're co-equal, but they take different, um, you know, positions. And so uh, when we get into authority, whether it's the authority of an employer over an employee or a husband over a wife or uh, elders in a church setting, whenever we get into the context of authority, we have to understand it has nothing to do with, well, one's better than the other, one's inferior to the other. It has everything to do with God's arrangement. And so you see it even within the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship, there is submission one to the other. Yeah, um, It's a beautiful symmetry. It's a beautiful picture of unity uh, so we should never think of the topic of authority and submission as being superior, oh, superior, or inferior. inferior, inferior. One's has all the power and the other has no power. That's a, those are worldly distortions of yeah. God's design. Which I think that might be one of the things we can start with now as being out of context. You already read the verse and it's, it's wives submit to your husbands. I think that can get taken out of context, especially if people, if you don't have a husband that's submitting to Christ, the the arrangement isn't quite isn't set up quite the way that God intended, right? So right. husbands uh, are what verse was that against? Um, the head of the Christ is God. Head of the head of a wife is her husband. First Corinthians. First Corinthians eleven three. Um, head of man is Christ. So First Corinthians eleven three. I we've heard that a lot. I think Ephesians five says it too, right? Um, right. Wives submit to your to husbands. 
Uh, it's joked about a lot too. I think it's just, it's just kind of become a a comical thing sometimes. But when we're saying wives submit to your husband, since we're talking about the wife is not inferior to the husband. Um, we, I understand that greatly with my marriage that, you know, Caitlin and I are a team. It's not that I'm more important than she is. Um, there's not a, it's not a superior, I'm not her boss, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so what are we, what is this talking about when it says wives submit to your husbands? If it's not an, uh, a superior thing, like it would be in a job setting, you know, you have your superior. Um, yeah, I think it setting, goes. So yeah. I think it goes back to creation. If if we go all the way back to Genesis, uh, you see when God created the man, uh, He created him first, which is significant, and then He brought the woman to the man, and she was to be His, uh, you know, to complement, as you said, a team member. Okay, well, within this team, the man was to be, as one writer put it, a loving initiator, a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman was to come alongside. So it's like when you dance, you you know, the man is supposed to lead, right? Unless mm-hmm. he's got two left feet and he can't dance. But uh, the, 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 that man, would be me. <laughs> the man leads, the woman follows. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Now, it doesn't mean that the woman never initiates things. She does. She initiates a lot. And the man is to respect and honor, respect and honor. But God has placed the man um, in creation to be be that courageous leader. And she's a loving responder, if you will. And together they make a great team. She sees things that he doesn't see. He sees things that she doesn't see. Um, and when you get into the context of the church, it's the same way. God wants the men to be uh, stepping up and being courageous and being leaders, loving leaders, laying their life down. Um, uh, but uh, I think the whole picture goes back to creation. Now, when sin entered the world, then that's when all the problems with God's uh, design came in. Men became passive and women became aggressive dominant it's and it's all driven by fear men are afraid to lead so they grab the remote and watch tv <laughs> and they, they want to be absent emotionally yeah and the women are afraid so they just they grab the reins and they they do it you know they do everything but then they resent that they they don't want a husband who's passive and women don't our men don't want women who are uh powering up on them or controlling okay yeah. that would be the word uh, so we got quite a we got quite a situation. On this here. is yeah. So I, sh- I should <laughs> clarify also. These are a lot of topics that we could do each individual podcast. Yeah, on. yeah. We don't you need got marriage. So and, we uh, we're gonna do this with. Uh, we're actually going to talk about this with one of our marriage mentor couples um, about these verses. Wives submit to your husband. Yeah. And the tough question of what if my husband is not submitting to Christ, and how does that does that break down the the arrangement? How what do yeah. I do if my husband's not following Christ and I am? And I'm submit. Am I submitting to him by him not, you know, wanting our family to be in church? My kids now aren't in church. Things like that. Just yeah. tough, tough situations. And you see, to, you see, in culture, this is a big topic to you know to think through mm-hmm. because um, we. I would subscribe to what's called complementarianism, which is that that may, men are different than women mm-hmm. and they complement each other, but they're different. Mm-hmm. And God has called the man to be a certain way in the relationship 
as I say, a loving leader, and the woman is to be come alongside with her intelligence and her abilities and her amazing skills to be a uh, sort of a loving responder. Uh, so complementarianism, there's egalitarianism too, which is the other side where, oh, they're just, they're completely all the equal. Same. They're all the same. So you get everyone in our, can do in our culture, you know, do you want to be a man? Do you want to be a boy or, or a, a girl? Let's not have the girls play with girl toys. Let's have them play with whatever toys, you know, all this uh, confusion uh, between the genders, I think uh, is, uh, is coming out of a, an ignorance of God's initial design in Genesis. If mm -hmm. you just read through Genesis and look at the New Testament without becoming wooden and stereotypical, you right? Know, um, and because some girls, you'd say, "Oh, well, she's a tomboy." Well, that's that's fine. She likes to shoot guns. She's she likes to roughhouse. That, that those kind of stereotypes are not helpful, right? But there is an essential order. Uh, that's not always easy to get at, yeah. uh, certainly, but worthy of discussion, I yeah. would say. Uh, careful discussion, uh, sensitive, spirit-led discussion. Yeah. Um, let's go to, um, I, I want to talk about authority within the church. Now, we're set up here at Spring Hills. We have a board, and then we have you as our senior pastor, and then you have um, uh, Garrett and Kiki and John that are uh, I don't know exactly the the order of the, the pyramid, but I <laughs> know like good. like Kiki is my Kiki is my boss, and uh, so like I know that order there. But the board is ultimately that's who you are held accountable by, and the authority. So what's the authority within the church? Let's let's start with the way that Spring Hills is set up with a yeah, board. Yeah, so we, some aren't set up the same way. We have authority set up in the church where the church board uh, is over me. Mm -hmm. They hire the senior pastor. They, uh, if there was ever time when they had to remove a senior pastor, they would do that. Uh, they also approve the annual budget of the church. They review the finance finances of the church on a monthly basis. And, uh, they basically delegate to me then to hire a staff within the budget parameters, hire a staff to accomplish the goals and vision and biblical mandate of what the church is to be. So they come up with that too. They come up with the big picture of what the church is from scripture, what the church is to do. Any policy that applies to across the board in the church, the board church board would come up with that policy. Mm -hmm. So then I'm delegated to go hire a staff and get it done. Put it in place. Put it in place. And so I'm or over put it into action, I guess. Put it yeah. into action and I'm over certain staff and they are reviewed by me. I'm reviewed by the board. They're reviewed by me and then certain staff have staff under them. Right. So we're all, uh, you know, it's it's a good and it should be a, a beautiful protection and unity is what it should be. If if issues of authority keep coming up in an organization, yeah then there's something unhealthy about the organization. Yeah. Now, what about when it comes to beyond the staff and we talk about the people that are part of our church, the volunteers, the um, the people that attend, what's the authority there with the senior pastor? Do they listen? You know, they come to, come to you for advice. What's the authority that you have to speak advice to them? Um, what, do you get what I'm saying with that? Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting, uh, that's a that's a whole topic in itself. Yeah. I would say that I am, I, I like First Peter chapter 5, uh, 
the first few verses of that uh, chapter. First Peter 5 says, So I exhort, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. And so he, I I feel like I'm a shepherd, an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, and uh, to help build up the flock, feed the flock, uh, to exercise oversight in the sense of keeping the flock Moving in the right direction, growing, uh, and growing in their spiritually, faith, yeah. spiritually. Should there become an issue in the flock, then whatever staff member is closest to that issue with a sheep, if you will, would be uh, assigned to start there and deal with it. I imagine, and if, if needed, move up the ladder. Yeah, too. move up until ultimately, maybe it has to be a church board issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've. We've, I don't think we've ever had that in the history of Spring Hills. But you, you, the, the authority of pastors and staff is to take care of, love, feed, protect the sheep as examples. And we're set up, the arrangement that is set up, the, the design is set up to um, not only protect the staff, but protect the church yes. from any kind of dictatorship type thing where the pastor just, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody can stop me, yeah. um, which is not how it's designed to be. There's, no, and there are some churches that are set that do up that. like that. They yeah. have a sole pastor kind of leader, and I think the pastor needs to be accountable. Now, in some cases, they set up accountability with the denomination. Yeah. They set up accountability maybe with some other local pastors or whatever, but there needs to be some sort of... um you know, somebody speaking into your life. And if it's a plurality, like we have a plurality of, of uh, our, we call it our church board here. It's a plurality. We have a staff that we have more than one staff. So it, if it's a plurality, that's good. The, the, in the abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. Right. Now, when you first, I'm curious now, when you, we, we did the story of Spring Hills um, a couple of weeks ago, we did the four parts and we talked about the first years and you and Eve planted the church and you were the only staff when you planted the church. The right. board wasn't in place yet. What's, uh, the, you took, I think you had a board within a year or two, right? Um, yeah, we, uh, we established a board pretty soon. And in those early years, we were under the, uh, accountability of the conservative Baptist. Okay. That was, yeah, California. that's right. So they, they're the ones that, uh, met with me before we started the church and I was, they wanted to hear my doctrine and my mm-hmm. teaching before they would associate themselves with us. And so then uh, I was accountable to them. I guess the worst thing that could happen is they would say, we're going to uh, disassociate from Spring Hills because of the pastor, you know, because of your false teaching, you know, <laughs> and then um, you can, you can, pastors can get around, I guess these authority structures, but uh, right. they shouldn't. It's, it's there for safety, I think, yeah. and for health. Um, anything else about the authority of church? And I, I, we will do a bigger podcast on this. We'll dig much deeper into each of these these topics. I wanted to, to start here because I want to get to 
Um, I want to get to the authority of the government because that's a big topic right now. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, just I think First Thessalonians chapter 2 is a really good chapter to look at uh, the authority within the church. The Apostle Paul that started the church at Thessalonica um, writes them, and he he says to them, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 2, we didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. So he models himself. He, he started the church, the great apostle Paul, had authority but he never made demands as an apostle in an official capacity. He was more like a mother nursing a child. Mm. They were dear to him. So that's the picture. Authority is so distorted mm-hmm. um, in our culture. You know, we, we picture uh, George Patton, you know, in World War II or something like that, or uh, some of the dictators across the world that have abused their position. We picture that and we go negative. It, mm-hmm. It's it's really, it's a position of, of love and influence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, more to be said about it. But 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 Peter 5 are great for exercising leadership in mm-hmm. the church context. Let's do one more before we get to the um, authority in, within the, the government. Uh, authority of parents. I had talked to a parent not long ago, just had the question of what about kids that are over 18? Um, now this parent is a young parent, so they're only in their mid twenties. So they haven't been an adult for terribly long. Um, but yeah, they had some conflict with their parents and the way that they're raising their now grandkids, you know? (laughs) Um, and so what's the authority for parents over children? And this specifically, this question was, uh, once you're over 18. Now I had a conversation with you not too long after I started here and you said, I hope I get this right. Um, you're responsible, uh, I just shoot. I'm going to forget Responsible to them, to but your not, parents, for, not them. for your parents. Um, which I actually really what meant not mental. I mean, it, it helped me a lot in just understanding the dynamic because I had been so close to my parents and then planted a church with my parents and then moved here. And I was felt like over that first year I was having like the most, um, uh, conflict with them. And I thought it was rooted in something. It's like, am I, is this my fault that they're, that they're mad? Did I left them? Did I abandon them? And I kind of was feeling this guilt. And then you right. said you're responsible to them, uh, not for them. For them. Yeah. And, so, which identifies a change in the relationship, right? right? Yeah. And, uh, you see that in Genesis, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So certainly when you get married, you're, you're leaving the authority of mother and father and Mm -hmm. you're cleaving to your wife. How many problems in marriage uh, are there because of in-law issues, Mm -hmm. right? So a failure to leave. Uh, So certainly uh, that is a boundary. You're married now. You're your own authority. You make your own decisions about Mm -hmm. Christmas and Thanksgiving and what you're going to do. So, but if a kid and when a when a kid leaves home, you know, there I think a parent has to recognize that they've grown up. I mean, culturally, in our culture, it's eighteen, and other cultures, it's it'd be younger still. Does that does that also apply to parents? The responsible to them, not for them, when they when when kids become adults. 
Yeah, I mean, kids become adults. The parents need to see that, hey, you're you're going to make your own decisions, and we're here now in an advisory capacity uh-huh. when you ask for it. Right. Uh, and a parent, good parenting, they start with a lot of authority as the kid's growing up, the kid's learning boundaries, right and wrong. And then as they move into the teenage years, they're they're having to loosen up more and more and Let more. the kids make their own decisions, reap the consequences. Yeah, yeah and- all that until the kid is able to then fly the nest, so to speak, which in nature is a great picture, mm-hmm. right? They fly the nest. They go start their own thing. A failure of parents in the teenage years to allow the kid to grow up uh, is where you get so many uh, problems with the right. teenage son. But then it's like the parent goes, but I can't trust my kid, yeah. you know? And so you see where that that delicate balance of, hey, I want to give you more responsibility because you're growing up, but you're not ready for it. But if so you could just do it the way I want you to do it. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of tension in that trade-off. And now what about a parent that might be feeling guilty over the way that the choices that their kids are making? Because let's be honest, yeah. we don't all make the best choices when we're 18. Yeah. We think we know yeah. everything. We do some dumb things. I So like, what's the, uh, how do we, let's encourage some parents that might be dealing with the guilt that their child has made some poor choices because their, their child is responsible for their own decisions that they're making. The parent has, um, has been an authority over them as they're growing up, taught them the things that they uh, have been ideally, uh, given, you know, with authority of God to, you know, uh, responding to the authority of God to raise a family. Um, and now these kids are now making their own decisions. If they make a bad decision, is that the parent's fault? Is that, where does that fall? You know, I mean, it's, it's gotta, it's hard for me even with my young kids. You see some, um, you know, it's always a reflective thing. It should be, I guess, where you say, God, is there something I should learn here? Mm -hmm. Uh, but you see in scripture where, good kids came out of bad homes and bad kids came out of good homes. Like I was thinking of Samuel in the book of Samuel, when Samuel's getting ready to die, they, uh, they won't appoint his kids to be prophet because they're so messed up. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you know, we can't have that. Uh, so you see with Samuel as great a prophet as he was, his kids didn't turn out, uh, real well. And then there's examples in scripture of uh, terrible parenting. I mean, might even say Jacob and, and Joseph, where, where Joseph turns out to be amazing and, and uh, his brothers aren't, and Jacob certainly had his problems. So, you know, you don't want to put, kids are going to make their choices. I mean, uh, I, had a, I had a really a good upbringing, I would say, but it wasn't perfect and my parents had issues and they weren't Christians. Yeah, you weren't raised in the they church. You weren't raised in the church, but I became a pastor. So, you know what I'm going to say here. I mean, uh, and then you can have one kid in a family that really wants to walk with the Lord and the other doesn't, and you mm-hmm. just start praying for them. But I think you're right. I, I don't think you can carry the responsibility. Ultimately, you have to um, acknowledge your weaknesses and no family's perfect. You're not going to be a perfect parent. No, you're no. And then just move to praying for your kids. If anybody has figured out how to be a perfect parent, let me know. Cause yeah, I'd like to talk with you. We'll buy it. <laughs> I'll buy that book. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, you know, kid turns 18, the dynamic changes. Uh, he has the right to oh, choose yeah. for himself. I think so. But that doesn't change the fact that he still needs to honor and respect his parents. Right. It just, you know, my, let, that maybe an easy example would be like, you know, in high school, my parents made me go to church. I was in points where, you know, 
maybe 14, 15 years old, I didn't want to go to church. I was, it was boring to me. I didn't want to be there, but it was part of what the rules were. You know, you go to church and if you choose not to go to, they even let me make the choice. If you choose not to go to church, here's the other consequences. You know, if you're not going to go to church, it doesn't mean uh, you get to, you know, stay over at your friend's house on Saturday night just because you're not going to church. Like if you're going to stay at your friend's house, you're going to church with us at 6.30 a.m. for the worship practice, right? You know, that stuff. Um, But when I got to be 18, the first response that I had was I didn't go to church for probably the first four months that I was out of high school. And I mean, that took a toll on my own relationship with Christ too. And it uh, ultimately the choice that I made was I need to get back to this because I don't like the path that I can see myself going down if yeah. I stick with this. And it was my parents. They didn't force it. They didn't say you need to be in church. They encouraged me. They definitely encouraged me with it. Um, but it was my own choice. And uh, I talked to my parents about it, honored them um, with the advice they gave me. And ultimately, I took their advice and got yeah, back into see, church, that's right? That's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Let's go to this. Uh, government. Um, you know, not much is talked about the government right now. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's a rare topic that you hear people talking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. So Romans 13 is something I've heard brought up often right now. So yeah. uh, maybe the last six to eight months, uh, you know, I mean, let's maybe let's go. I think, what is it? The first seven verses. Let's maybe break this down a little bit. Uh, and context is key with understanding this, the scripture here. So who's talking, who are they talking to? What are they talking about? Because, you know, you can have people look at Romans 13 and say, see, that means you need to just defy the government, open the church, don't follow the rules. And yeah. then other people are looking at this going, no, you need to you need to obey the rules. You need to uh, submit to the authority of the people that are in authority over you in the government. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Romans 13 and then maybe what else does the Bible say about submitting to the authority of uh, government officials. Yeah, I think there, that tension that exists right now is a good tension. The tension mm-hmm. of, okay, well, we want to submit to authority because authority is established by God. And Romans 13 makes that point that that there is no authority. This, I'm looking at verse 1 now, except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So authority uh, keeps us society from totally destroying itself. Right, yeah. I mean, you have to have punishment, you have to have laws, you have to have consequence and the and the government has to have power. Otherwise, human nature being as it is will totally destroy that society. I right. mean, a lawless anarchy, society, yeah. anarchy, lawlessness, all of that. So that's the big principle and also I was thinking about Peter um, in Peter, I think it's in chapter two of Peter, but he talks about being good citizens uh, so that the gospel that we proclaim is not, uh, you know, th- thought uh, ill of or discredited. And we're naming the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. We want non-Christians uh, to see our good works. And we, we want we to, if we're always going against governmental authority, we're always rebelling, mm-hmm. it's going to hurt us. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like the big picture of the religious right, which is was like a political arm, right, or a political uh, constituency. The You might not remember this as much, but there was the political right. And uh, so politicians would try to get the political right to uh, vote for them. And it's still the case. They want evangelicals, right? Mm-hmm. We want to get the evangelicals. But during that time, it was a little bit of a power thing uh, where, boy, the the evangelical right has some uh, power here to get done what they wanted to get done. 
um, and almost lobby, you know, without all the excesses. But it didn't help the Church of Jesus Christ. It just was like, oh, the Church of the Religious Right, they're jerks, you know, and because we don't have, we're not a church in society. We're such a mixture. Um, but mm-hmm. let me just say, so government authority essentially is a good thing to protect our culture from right. utter lawlessness. And God has established authority, but every authority instituted by God is limited. That's that's a key. It's limited, all right? I mean, it's not absolute authority. The only absolute authority is God. He's sovereign God. Mm-hmm. We appear before him in the judgment. Yeah, even, even Jesus submitted to the Father. Yeah, I mean, it's he. It, husbands don't have unlimited authority. They they have a they have a role to influence in love, church leadership, uh, elder board, you know, church staff. They don't have unlimited authority. They're under God. So once a government is dis- deemed to be uh, abusing its position under God it shouldn't be obeyed. Like, right. like you can't pray or preach or teach in the name of Jesus. We read about this in Acts chapter 2, and the, the disciples said, this is my paraphrase now, you know, we're not going to obey you. We have to obey God. Right. You know, so, yeah, we'll continue to preach and teach and pray and yeah. all that. So that's where the current, the current uh, COVID-19 th- restrictions have the church in debate and discussion, which is good. Uh, as the is the government overreaching now? You know, some would say, "Well, yeah, we we we're supposed to flatten the curve for two weeks, and it's it's turned eight now months. into eight months now, and it's looking like it's going to be some, a lot longer." Some pastors are like, "Enough's enough. Our church is going to open up," and then you got you you got fines to pay. Is there a definitive answer? <laughs> no, so I don't think <laughs> that's so. The- I, that's the bottom line. I think. I think each pastor leadership has to. You want unity, right, with, with staff and and leadership teams as to what what God would have them to do. In some cases, pastors are just waiting it out. I mean, they're literally waiting it out. They're doing everything online, and that's it. And to those pastors, some say, "Oh, you're being weak, and you're not being courageous, and you're afraid of." You know, preaching the gospel, and uh, you know, I don't know. I I'm just like. <laughs> Um, uh, for us here at Spring Hills, I, I, I agree with those who say you can't have church in the New Testament way by doing everything online. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. Uh, and is it just a matter of time, um, before the church is opened up fully? I hope so, you know, with the vaccine mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, uh, but we, we haven't been able to just sh- shut it all down and just do online. We've wanted to have some in-person things, and we have been doing that. Uh, so, I don't know. So when we, I lo- I'm looking at this verse here, uh, Romans thirteen three. Um, I guess starting in two. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Uh, those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant. For your good, um, we have people. I, we mentioned this earlier too when we talked about husbands and wives, and maybe um, a husband that doesn't submit to Christ's authority uh, as the head of the household, submitting to Christ, having government officials not submitting to God's authority, and is are is there is it 
overstepping God's authority to in in ways that we now as Christians because this is this is where I'm getting at it. There's there's countries in the world where people literally are not allowed to read their Bible. They're yeah. not allowed to pray. They're not allowed to meet together. And if they defy the government and do it, we encourage we we're excited about the fact that God's moving in those countries where these people are having these secret churches. Um, in their homes or underground, whatever it is. And we are that we hear those stories and we're like, wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, and then we hear, we look at it and we go, well, are we supposed to defy the government and just not obey the rules? Uh, cause that's what they're doing over there. And we say, it's okay there. It's not okay here. Uh, is, what's the difference there? I mean, is it, is it just such like a, an unclear answer that we're not really sure how to respond that you just have to constantly, you just seek God, like, God, what do we do here? And is it going to be different for each church, different for each person? Am I complicating this question too much? No, I think you're laying it out really well. I mean, in China, for example, uh, the underground church and the underground church is flourishing in places like China and um, even in Iran, Mm -hmm. surprisingly, there's a growing uh, number of believers there in the millions. But Mm -hmm. it, uh, you know, you got to count the cost, I guess. If you're going to be in China and you're going to say, we're going to worship on this corner of our town, no matter what the communist government says, okay, well, if you open up, you're liable to, you might end up in jail. You might end up in a concentration camp. You might end up, you know, losing your life. Right. Certainly in certain parts of the world, Pakistan and other places, you're, you're going to defy Muslim, you know, Islam as a Christian. So yeah, I'm a Christian and Islam can't tell me, or the, you know, Muslim government isn't going to tell me. Okay. Well, you may end up in jail for 10 years for yeah. that. So, uh, then you say, well, I won't say anything then. Okay. And then we go, oh, it's weak. You won't say anything, you know? So uh, to your point, <laughs> Uh, what do we do, Brad? You know, it's like how many fines? <laughs> how many fines do we want to pay? You right, know? How many yeah. fines are we willing to pay? And uh, I appreciate uh, some churches are going to take this right now. Grace Community Church in LA is basically fighting it, and mm-hmm. they're uh, fighting everything. Um, and yeah, going may, to court. It over may it end and, up in the Supreme Court, yeah. where the Supreme Court rules you cannot suspend constitutional rights of assembly and worship during a pandemic, uh-huh. you know, you can't suspend it or you can't suspend it. However, they're going to rule on it. And it could end up freeing the church up from fear yeah. of being fined. And, and made it, in some cases it's, it's in the thousands and thousands of dollars. All mm-hmm. right. Most churches can't afford that. Well, it's weird um, because we're talking about also with the, with the idea of parents and, uh, and kids, once they're out of the house, submitting to authority, it changes. And it's, it, I kind of, tying that together with this, it's like, when do we, when, when do we as uh, citizens get to make our own choices and reap the consequences and, and benefits? So in this case, the consequence could be you get sick. Right. Um, and when do we get to make the call of, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm fine with getting sick and I'm going to go worship with people. And if I get sick, I get sick versus, uh, no, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to make the decision whether you're going to get sick or not, because there are people we've said all along. It's like, if you don't feel safe, don't come to the gathering. We have it online. That's why we have it because we want there to be an an option for them, right? For people that are like, no, I'm not feeling quite safe with the crowd yet. It's like, that's fine. We've got it online for you. Um, but then there's the people that are like, I can't do this online thing. I need to be with people. If I get sick, I get sick, but I can't be alone anymore. The isolation yeah, is too tough. tough one. And, and some some states are that way. In our in Cal- letting them make their California, own choice. they're you know it's more of a much more of a restrictive. Yeah, kind of uh, almost feels 
like, uh, you know, we're, we're totally being told, I mean, how many people we can have at Thanksgiving yeah, yeah. and, and Christmas is going to be canceled this year. And, you know, got that kind of stuff Oh man! in California. But in other states, they're completely, uh, open. they're completely open. And they're saying that be responsible. You know the deal. You know, if you're around, keep your social distancing and all that kind of stuff. We know all the, so act responsibly. Yeah, and we make choices every day that could be dangerous. We'd get on the road. Get on the road. That's oh, dangerous. Oh, yeah. Um, life, you know what I mean? Life like is we, a risk. We Come make on. the choice to get on the road and drive, right. and you make the choice to follow the the right. traffic laws or not, you know? Right. Uh, making the choice to go, you know, 95 miles an hour down Fulton, you might get hurt. And if you yeah. don't get hurt, you might hurt somebody else, and you might and get you in might trouble. Get you know, like, yeah, and then end up Or in just jail. a ticket, a fine. You know, yeah. there's to, we're making our choices every day on what uh, to do. So I guess it's just the question of... Uh, of not question, but it's just submit to God and continue to be in yeah. prayer. And we're really emphasizing that a lot right now. With so I, I think that the debate will continue, but I think the basic principle is no human authority <clears throat> given to it by God is allowed to uh, subvert uh, God's authority. Mm -hmm. and, and so the church is under God's authority. Jesus is the head of the church, not the governor. And what are we called to do? And as what the are we called to do as the church? And at the point in which we have to choose between obeying the governor and obeying God, we must obey God. Now Christians will disagree on what that looks like, and that's sort of where we're at now. Right. Some yeah. say we must meet and defy the governor. Others say no, we can meet online and we'll be okay. And then some say okay, we can meet online, but for how long, right. you know? And so on and on it goes and we need wisdom and unity, um, and prayer for one another. Yeah. And I think, again, we are going to do another episode here soon on prayer too. And we've been really emphasizing prayer. We have our prayer, uh, meeting slash service. Um, I'm not sure. Do we call it a service? On yeah, Saturday yeah, because we have service. worship, and yeah. it's a great time. Yeah. Saturday so we, morning. uh, and we really, right now we're, we're talking about the four, four pattern, um, going, not just talking about it, but going through it together. And it's really, it's been a, it's been an encouraging Saturday morning thing. I think we're on week five or six that we're doing it. So come yeah. join us on Saturday mornings for more prayer. Um, we, last week we did, we did pray for our country and um, focused on that a lot. We pray for our church. We pray for the weekend that we're going to be uh, heading into. We pray for uh, our community too. So yeah, come down on Saturday mornings to pray. Um, really emphasizing prayer throughout Spring Hills has been a, a great thing over the last few months. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk more about authority. I'm going to do these mini episodes. They're going to be like eight to 10 minutes long where we take one of these and maybe a little bit longer, depending on, um, how many people were in here talking, but we're going to dig into each one of these separately and do a, uh, what does the Bible say about authority mini series. Um, so that'll be coming out pretty soon here. Uh, I just got to line it up. So yeah, Brett, thanks for coming in today. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, wait real quick. This weekend, we're wrapping up Romans 12. Yeah, Romans yeah. 12. So we've got John Knapp is going to be talking. John Knapp's going to give the final message. And I'm, you, I'm excited. You, we can jo you can join us online still. We are live streaming. Um, and then you can also come here. We have a lot of options. I think there's like Kiki said, there's five options. So we've got the we've got the uh, campus kind of split up. We've got an overflow where the screen is outside. We've got a, a, a seating area outside that you can still see in the auditorium. We've got the social distancing inside. Uh, the mask area, the, all the different things. You, so you can join us in lots of different ways. Check out, I think, go to springhills.org and find all the different ways you can join us this weekend. But our service times are all still the same. So 530, 8.15, uh, 5.30 Saturday night, 8.15 Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11.15 Sunday morning as well. So join us this weekend. Thanks, Brett.